to me, the core of having an abundance mindset is you will do things with an open mind. You are willing to take risks, even if it scares the absolute out of you. You'll do it because you know that it's better than standing still and doing nothing. I'm Tamina, and I'm extending a heartfelt invitation to you as we join forces in reclaiming economic power for women in a world that is often structured against us. We'll dive into the minds of accomplished female leaders, investors, and entrepreneurs to equip you with the confidence and knowledge to build wealth for yourself and other women. So buckle up, get ready to learn, and be inspired to take action. Today, I have the pleasure of having a conversation with one of my all-time favorite content creators. Shang blogs about mental health and financial health at Save My Sense. She reached the ability to work optional at age 31 and teaches thousands of Americans how saving a dignified retirement is not rocket science and can be very rewarding. Our conversation will mainly be focusing on mental health and why having an abundance mindset is crucial to building wealth. Shang, I'm so excited for our conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tamina, for having me. So excited to be here. Amazing. Shang, before I'm going to ask my question, I want to get something off my chest real quick on air because I know we already talked about this offline right before we hit the recording button. But to the audience members out there, this past October, I was going through an egg freezing cycle that was unfortunately less successful than I had hoped. And Shang and I, we've been connected online for quite some time now. And she was so kind to reach out to me several times, sharing words of encouragement, because as someone who has gone through IVF cycles several times herself, Shang knew exactly how challenging that process was for me. And I just wanted to say how incredibly grateful I am to you, Shang, that you took the time Mm -hmm. to send me these kind messages. I think there's just something really, really beautiful about women supporting each other and yeah we just need more of that so shang officially in front of all our listeners a big big thank you no honestly i think this is just such a great example of women supporting women a lot of these conversations happen be be behind closed doors because this one specifically is like very very personal but you know i've kind of made that decision to share that openly publicly so have you and i just know that we're setting a great example for other women so yeah thank you i mean it's so personal i was actually really encouraged by michelle obama sharing about the fact that both her children were ivf children during a time when almost nobody talked about infertility and it still is such an area of pain shame vulnerability And to anyone out there struggling with infertility or thinking about planning for children in the future, balancing that with career, you are so not alone. I definitely want to encourage you all to feel that. Just reach out, find a community of women. You'll be very surprised to find that probably many of your friends are going through the exact same thing. Yep. A hundred percent. To my point that I, I, I made earlier, Shang, when we're not recording yet. I have so many girlfriends that have reached out to me since, not only girlfriends, but also female coworkers at my company that reached out or like, hey, thank you so much for being so transparent about your process. I've been considering 
doing this for such a long time now. And I, I had no idea. I had so many misconceptions about the whole process. So, yeah, I think it's just just great to to be transparent. If it doesn't feel you know too personal to each their own, obviously. But both you and I have a platform at this point, and I think having a platform and a voice also comes with a certain level of responsibility. So, using that platform to to share experiences that ultimately benefit other people and especially women i'm just super passionate about that so again thank you all right shang let's dive in this podcast is all about helping women build wealth for themselves and other women and because increasing women's visibility is absolutely critical when it comes to wealth building i always start out by asking my guests this question first shang who is a woman that you admire. You were just mentioning Michelle Obama. If you want to elaborate on that, please feel free to do so. But it could really be anyone, like a female founder, investor, business owner, politician, activist, content creator, doesn't matter. Yeah. So this has very little to do with wealth, but my role model is my mother. And she is one of those incredibly strong and quiet uh, personalities. You would never find her blogging about herself online or sharing her successes. I mean, she was a stay-at-home mom for most of her life. She worked a couple of years. I was a stay-at-home mom. She is very involved with her church, with her friend circles. She gives tirelessly. She makes the biggest holiday meals I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like she starts cooking two, three days before the holiday. And she loves her people, even when the going gets very, very tough, even for herself. And she's been through some pretty not pleasant situations and she never raises her voice at anybody. I rarely hear her yell or get upset. And that level of patience, I know it takes a lot to develop. I don't have it. So I very much admire her for that. Wow. Neither do I. If there is a virtue I wish I could improve upon a little bit, it is patience. Sounds like an incredible human being and shout out to my mom as well. She's awesome too. Gotta <laughs> share some love for all the moms out there. A lot of sacrifices, I believe, that both of our moms have made in order for their children to be set up for success in life. So yeah, we love you, moms. <laughs> I love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to share this episode with, with her once it's out there. She's gonna, gonna smile when she listens to that shout out. So Yeah. No, but great example. Love that. Shang, I would argue that most people actually have a pretty bad relationship with money. And that's particularly true for women, unfortunately. And you've probably heard of this outrageous statistic but a few years ago, Merrill Lynch actually conducted a study that found that 61% of women would rather discuss details about their own death than talk about their money. That's just crazy. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, right? I've read this so many times at this point, and I, I still can't believe it. And I think we as a society, and especially women, we've simply been socialized into thinking that money is a taboo topic. We shouldn't be talking about it at all. But both you and I, on the other hand, have personally experienced that talking about and educating ourselves about money and sharing that knowledge with other people, especially women, is incredibly liberating. 
what are some of the most common mental blockers that you are encountering in your work with your coaches, followers, and the people who take your courses? Yeah. So I am very much focused on an American audience, but I was brought up in a Chinese culture. And it's a very interesting cultural norm for money to be such a taboo in the United States. And for years, you've been told, never talk about how much money you make. Don't talk about how much you're saving or your net worth or anything like that. But when I grew up, my family's money and my relative's money was everybody's business. In fact, like we would talk about, oh, uncle so-and-so is bankrupt or whatever. And it was just part of your everyday conversation. So it was really weird to me becoming an adult that this is not talked about. And I think that's reinforced through our media, through our movies, through the behaviors of the friends around us, especially two things that are very incorrect. One, old school media made us believe that only men should be in control of money and financial decision. And to that, I say that is so incredibly wrong. The second set of wrong beliefs about money, which is still reinforced today, through reality TV, movies, whatever, is that wealth is displayed through how you spend the money. But in fact, true wealth is very quiet. Other than the billionaires that you hear about on Twitter all the time, a lot of wealthy people, wealthy millionaires, would rather stay out of spotlight, not flash their Gucci belts and whatever. They don't want to display excess. Because that means you're spending your money away. You're not keeping it. True wealth is actually very much behind the scenes and hidden. And so to really work with those blocks to teach the people who hear about my content that actually everything you've been told growing up is wrong. I mean, you have to be countercultural. And to be countercultural, you need to have strong mental health. Because without a strong sense of self, a healthy mindset, from which to build your inner strength, it's going to be really easy for you just to follow whatever society says you should do and not forge your own path. And that's where I focus. A lot of my energy is building up that inner strength, that healthy mentality when it comes to money so that people can make decisions for themselves. Love that. And to your point earlier about media and pop culture reinforcing that wouldn't it be great if netflix was producing a tv show that covers a diverse set of women talking about their salaries and how they're kicking ass in their jobs maybe i should pitch that to netflix specifically as it pertains to the relationship that women have with money i think that 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 would be great if you know anyone in the business let me know (laughs) (laughs) i am very far removed from the entertainment business (laughs) yeah unfortunately so am i i think the narratives are slowly shifting at least when it comes to how women are portrayed when it comes to having careers and such but i'm just missing that specific narrative around financial education and women are conditioned into spending but not necessarily conditioned into saving and investing and and i think yeah. that is that is the the real real problem here and, and, and advocating for their careers because yeah. i think men are more likely to be encouraged to go out network hustle build your career build your brand hustle and get your income up and women are not being told that as often and so it's not reinforced and then we don't get the right kind of support and champions at work in our prayers. 
right? And when, when we attempt to do that, we're automatically breaking out of our gender roles and for them being too assertive, right? We probably have to pay the price because then people perceive us as not as likable. Whereas a man advocating for himself, he's standing up for himself. That that annoys me so, so much. Successful but, men can get away with a lot more of being an asshole than successful women. Apparently, successful women need to be sweet as a honey pie and also be brilliant at what they do. It's so fair, <laughs> those double standards. Well, we could have a conversation just around double standards that would fill several hours. <laughs> I, I know we both have had our fair share of that, but... Let's let's talk a little bit more about that notion of having an abundance mindset because that's something both you and I talk about on our platforms quite a lot, you more so than than me, but it, it's something that I have deeply internalized because I've I haven't always had an abundance mindset. That's just something that I've developed over the past two to three years, I would say. <laughs> Shang, how how would you define an abundance mindset because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that. Yeah. And how does one shift from having a scarcity mindset to having an abundance mindset? To me, the core of having an abundance mindset is you will do things with an open mind. You are willing to take risks, even if it scares the absolute out of you. You do it because you know that it's better than standing still and doing nothing. And there are two mantras that I attribute this. There's this like five-week course that I teach to people to develop the abundance mindset. Sorry, three mantras. I am enough. Do it scared. I get to. I am enough says that I accept myself, both my past, my present version, and a future version of me. And I love that because so many people expect to define themselves by what society thinks of them. Oh, your titles, your resume, what school you went to, how much money you make, your net worth, whether you're married or not married, whether you have kids or not kids, and all that defines you. I'm like, no, none of that matters. The core of your being, the fact that you exist is awesome. And that's the core of I am enough. So that's self-love. Then the second is do it scared, which speaks to the fact that in order to grow, you're going to have to take risks. Investing, most people are like, I'm too scared to invest. I'm like, hey, Every time I put money into the market, I still get butterflies in my stomach, even though I have more than a million dollars. It's always there, but you're going to do it scared. Kind of like Nike's, just do it, but, you know, my own version of that. (laughs) Then the last mantra is I get to. This is a very popular phrase. I've seen other people share about it where you take every I have to phrase in your mind, in in your life, and you say I get to. I come from a family where we left China. My parents left China because they grew up in the age of the Cultural Revolution, which is almost never talked about these days. I mean, at that time, Mao Zedong murdered 22 million people, either through direct murder or starvation. My parents starved through that time. So whenever I want to complain about having to work, I'm like, no, 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 no. I get to work. I'm employed. Or I have to complain about cooking. I'm like, no, no, I get to cook. Because I have food on the table. And saying these very simple phrases throughout the day allows us to recognize things that we can be grateful for. That maybe someone somewhere out there in the world would dream to be in your position. 
to have. And it also solves for the fact that even though money and wealth solves a lot of problems, the relationship between joy and wealth is not linear. At some point, it starts to taper off. And if you don't learn how to be happy with what you have today, more money does not necessarily bring more joy. Beautifully said. It really does start with ourselves, to your point, accepting yourself for who you are, loving yourself. And I love the I get to phrase because I've personally experienced practicing gratitude can be so, so helpful, especially as it pertains to your relationship with your own money. And this might sound super corny, but I was suffering from depression in the past and severe anxiety. And so after I came out healthy after therapy and after doing a lot of work, doing a lot of introspection, it was almost as if like a veil, like a gray veil had been lifted and previously everything was tinted gray and all of a sudden I could see colors in a way I hadn't seen in a couple of years. Like grass was greener, the sky was more blue, you know, like the sounds mm -hmm. super corny, but even just seeing like a beautiful sunset or getting to yes. smell flowers. Yep. So, so powerful. So sometimes when I am down or when I think about, oh, I'm not making enough money yet and it's frustrating, I'm just like taking a step back, be like, you just experienced the most beautiful sunset last night. You <laughs> have healthy eyes that you're able to witness that, right? Yeah. You have a healthy body that has taken you to many beautiful places around the globe. So I think, and that's something that you preach as well, Shang, is wealth, financial wealth really starts with mental health because yeah. until you haven't figured that out for yourself and until you're not happy with who you are at your core, you probably don't have what it takes in order to build wealth in a very sustainable, long-term way. There's plenty of very rich people in the world who are extremely unhappy and all the money in the world couldn't solve their problems. Correct. And I'm like, if you already have that much money, you can already solve the day-to-day -day problems, you know, hire someone to clean your house or you can get nourishing food, you can get access to healthcare, all of that. And if that doesn't solve what is really on your mind, then go solve that stuff. Go focus on that mental health piece because your wealth allows you to take care of everything else. And that, that's, that's really what I wanted to dig into. Thanks for sharing about your depression because I also, after giving birth to my first child, nine months later, I developed postpartum depression. I thought it came earlier, but apparently it can come within the first year after postpartum. And it was such a struggle, but thankfully, because of my financial stability, I was able to just put my heart and mind into healing. I'm like, there's nothing else I'm going to focus on. I'm just going to heal, do the medicine, do the therapy, do all the hard work. And I'm really grateful that I did because if I didn't, it would really impact my ability to even be functional as a human being today. That's so, so powerful. I think postpartum depression, another topic that we don't talk enough about <laughs> in society. 
Yeah. Just to add to that previous conversation about reproductive health in general deserves so much more attention and so much more open dialogue and discourse in our society. So again, thank you for being so vulnerable to to share that because <laughs> I haven't experienced postpartum depression myself, but I've experienced depression and I wasn't able to talk about it for the longest time. I tried to figure it out by myself because up until that point, I'd figured out a lot of stuff in life by myself, but I only started to really heal once I started opening up about my experience to other people, my friends, my partner, and that that initiated that healing process for me. Sean, let's pivot a little bit because what I particularly love about your content is the fact that you talk very openly about your frugality. And you briefly touched upon that earlier when we were talking about most millionaires being behind the scenes type of people and not very flashy. You're a millionaire. I believe your husband is a millionaire as well. Mm -hmm. And yet you rarely splurge and are always looking for ways to be as cost efficient as possible, which makes sense. Like once you have wealth, you want to make sure that you keep wealth, right? <laughs> but I just think, especially these days with, you know, social media, highlight reels, that's just a very fresh perspective that we don't get to see a whole lot these days. And I remember back in October, you shared a post on Instagram that I thought was beautiful. And I'm going to quote it. You shared, the world, to have a rich life, you should want more, acquire more, and do more. Me, a rich life is one where I find peace and joy now so that I don't need to desire more. Shang, I would argue that many people would say that living frugal and having an abundance mindset are mutually exclusive. Let me play devil's advocate here. But you actually believe the opposite is the case. Can you please elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. And it's funny because I, I've been doing a lot of reading and just seeing what other personal finance people are saying in their books. And almost every personal finance writer out there eventually pushes people through the financial journey in order to build wealth so that you can spend it. And I'm like, actually, my push is you build up to wealth so that you can escape the rat race, do whatever you want, but also give the excess away if that is possible. And a lot of people equate being frugal with being scarce. It's not the same. And I think it comes from the fact that the only frugal people that most people think of are like, oh, immigrants and poor people. They had to scrimp and save and like, they go to five different grocery stores to find the best deal on milk and whatnot. And I'm like, no, my frugality isn't that. I'm not penny wise and pound foolish, which is, you know, the term that you would use to describe that level of frugality. I choose to be frugal, but I have a whole system set up to make it easy for me to do so. I, it's not like I have no choice but to be frugal. And I don't sweat the tiny, tiny details. It's just that I've gotten so good at spending very little money on a lot of things I don't care about that I just don't bother with spending it. Media, marketing, TikTok, whatever videos of people spending money, it just doesn't get to me the way that it gets to most people. I also don't beat myself up if I do split. I do go out on date nights. My date nights do go into the hundreds of dollars. But Love I'm very careful. for you and your hubby. <laughs> Love that. Because it's important. And I'm I very agree. careful. Yeah. About like, what, if you do spend, you spend it in according to your values. And for me, 
so many people, are just, so many things to spend on are just not relevant because having read psychology books and having studied behavioral psychology, you come to realize that very little in life truly, truly matters. And the things that do matter require time, not necessarily money. And for me, being a working mom now, the reason why I pull back on a high-flying career, I used to be in management consulting where your earning potential is unlimited. And the fact that I do take unpaid maternity leave, like I take maternity leave that's longer than the average person. My first one's one year. My next maternity leave is going to be five months. It's because I recognize that at some point money doesn't matter. And I always ask myself, who else can benefit more from my abundance other than myself? For both my husband and I, charity, philanthropy are huge. Like, yes, it's nice to have nice things. But once you realize that accumulating more doesn't give you that much more joy, that much more fulfillment, there's only one way, there's only one way in the entire world that gives you everlasting joy which is to give things away. We found that out really early. It is so counterintuitive. Almost nobody talks about it. But the best way to have joy is to help others, ideally as selflessly as you can. We're not entirely selfless. We are selfish at times. But I found that even in the depths of when I had postpartum depression, when I was struggling with IVF, by shifting the focus away from me, by not trying to buy things or buy experiences. I equate both. I just talk to people like, I don't buy stuff. I do experiences. A after some point, five-star hotels and mission meals also become meaningless. But instead, by focusing my resources on helping other people get some basic things, that's when I'm like, wow, I feel so much happier. And so that's why I still choose to remain frugal today because... I learned very early on that adding more is not going to get you more. It's called hedonic adaptation. You upgrade your lifestyle, you get used to it. And to kind of like get a better dopamine hit, you upgrade your lifestyle again. And that's why you see some billionaires on TV spend ridiculous amounts of, of money on things that are so exclusive because they keep chasing that. And I'm like, stop. Stop chasing all of that. Chase helping other people, and you will never be unhappy for the rest of your life. It's always going to be a rat race. There's always going to be someone who is richer than you. And even if Elon Musk is the richest man alive today, <laughs> like tomorrow it's going to be Bill Gates again or Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, who, who, whoever. To your point, you can't escape that. And something that I've been trying to share with my community as well is that precise approach of value-based spending. It's so easy because of social media, pop culture, to just consistently spend on everything. And I've come to realize for me, there are certain things I want to splurge on. To your point, my partner and I, we love splurging on food. We love having a night out, treating us to, to a fancy meal or like going to like Zabar's, for example, on the Upper West Side. Oh, I love it. Some, some Nova. I know you. <laughs> you, you frequented that I neighborhood. I a New York bagel for sure. So oh, I can only imagine, Chang. Like, 
that to me is luxury for me to be able to get half a pound of like this very exclusive <laughs> Zabar's Nova and then just walking yeah. across Central Park. That to me is 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 luxury. And, you know, I get to to spend that money, but then I also get to cut back in other aspects. Like, for example, I do like buying clothing, but I am thrifting a lot and I'm I'm usually not buying expensive clothing at their retail value. So this is a way for me to compromise or I I haven't had a car in many years. Granted, I live in New York City now, so I really need a <laughs> it car. It saves you so much money. It oh saves you so much money and developing that mindset of really reflecting on what actually brings you joy like yes i can say going out and having a nice meal that that brings me brings me joy it's just yeah, it, it does or going on a trip for example i think the best investment i've made to the state was going on safari oh, in 2021 my gosh, to visit that's one of my bucket list Oh my God, Chang, you have to do it. I visited yeah. one of my best best friends from college who is a, a hyena researcher in the Masai Mara in Kenya. Wow. Sh shout out to my friend Yana. And it was just the most transformational experience because it opened my, my eyes quite literally, but my mind to a completely new world. And it made me think, damn, we have to we have to be better at protecting our planet and these beautiful, graceful animals. And also very humbling because, you know, what is like a lion or an elephant going to care if I'm going to get a raise next month or if I'm going to get my next promotion, right? <laughs> so just highly, highly recommend. You're mentioning earlier, Shang, that you are an immigrant. Both you and I are actually immigrants. And mm -hmm. I would argue that immigrants have a bit of a different relationship with money, oftentimes out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about your mom in the beginning and sharing that your parents moved from China, I believe, first to Europe and eventually yes. to the United States yes. when you were fairly young. Can you share with us how your immigrant background has influenced your financial mindset? We have folks listening from all over the world, but I think particular to people who are citizens and were born in the countries that they currently reside in, I think this is always like a super valuable perspective because they will never be able to fully understand what it's like to be an immigrant and how that has influenced the decisions we've made to date. Yeah. My migration path was I was born in the People's Republic of China, moved to Switzerland for just about a year or so. Then the Netherlands for about four and a half years, then the United States. And so within the United States, I've lived in Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, New York, and now greater Los Angeles. So I've hit up every major spot you could ever think of. And hello to all the European listeners, because I had a great time living in Europe. Fortunately for us, we weren't of the, you know, refugee immigration class, right? Where like you're escaping hunger and war and you come to a new country with literally nothing. I mean, that is traumatic and that is difficult. And thankfully my family didn't have to do that. We immigrated because my dad is a world-renowned professor. And so we always had income and we always had a place to stay. 
none of that trauma had to happen. At the same time, though, my parents struggled to pick up each of the new languages. I was able to be fluent in Swiss German and Dutch at the time. I don't remember anymore. Don't try to talk to me in Dutch. No, I <laughs> like Swiss German. Okay. Maybe I'll have to quiz you at some point. We'll not not anymore. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't want to speak it because they're so similar to English that I just, you know, my mind switched to English. But because my parents couldn't figure out some basic systems like how do you register with the government for some things? How do you fill out forms? How do I get my child into school on time? You know, they missed some registration window and they, I had to be kept home for a month before I could go to school, all, all those things. And they were super frugal just because that was my parents' mindset growing up, having starved during the Cultural Revolution. For me, I would say that I'm so grateful so my parents were working so hard and sacrificing so much, leaving their home country to provide a better life for me. I'm an only child. I don't have any other siblings. This experience for me, so most of the moves happened between when I was ages three to 10. And then my, my life was pretty stable until my 20s where a lot of you know people move around the United States. It's kept me very open to realizing there's more than one way to do things. I think Americans are very, we're very US-centric. We're very proud of how we do things in this country is how everyone should do things. I'm like, oh, you know, there, there's other ways. United States could not figure out QR codes for so long, even though every other country knew how to do QR codes. And like, apparently COVID is the only reason why we use QR codes to this day. Mind blown. That's I'm hilarious. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Nobody, nobody knew what to do with QR codes before then. I also like the whole metric system. Sorry to interrupt you there, Sean. Oh my gosh. Not using the metric system. Like I, please, I still don't know my quartz from my pines. So yeah. 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 Uh, And I probably never will be able to just like ounces. What are ounces? Like, like it doesn't make sense from a numerical perspective. But anyway, I digress. Please continue, (laughs) Sean. I think what has helped, and I think you do appreciate this too, is because so much change happened in my developmental years, I'm not afraid of change. And that's part of the abundance mindset. And it's also what you need to be an entrepreneur because in an entrepreneurial world, nothing is guaranteed. And you have to put yourself out there. You have to be very open to understanding that you'll be rejected. You'll lose a lot more than you win. And you just have to constantly put yourself out there get get into position to get lucky and i started a couple businesses on my own they're always they've always been side businesses that keep my mind active but i think that had i not been an immigrant i probably would have settled a lot more into just a normal corporate job and believed that that's it but i'm glad that being an immigrant meant that I could be more creative and say, you know, I'm going to change my life if I don't like it. I'm going to try new things if I don't like it and just keep experimenting. That's so relatable because you've literally packed up your life like so many times and moved to a completely new environment, new country, new continent. And you just had to learn quickly how to adapt and figure it out from scratch. This is something I, I can definitely 
relate to myself as well, having lived in three different countries myself. And I think it gives people like us a huge leg up and something we can even mention in like job interviews, for example, and to your point, entrepreneurship, we know, especially in this country, and unfortunately, the narrative is not really supporting that. A lot of the 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 biggest companies out there were, were either founded by immigrants yeah. or children of immigrants like yep, Steve Jobs, for example. The the son of a Syrian immigrant. We didn't know about the this for a very long time. Alphabet yep. co-founder. Yeah, so many great examples. And and yet somehow we still have that really anti-immigrant narrative, specifically in the in the United States. And it just like kills me. Obviously, I'm very privileged because I'm a white, white privileged woman from from Germany. So the narrative for me is very different than for someone from Mexico, for example. My partner is from Mexico. He's an American citizen at, at this point. But, you know, him and his family have had their fair share of discrimination. And <laughs> it's just, ugh. Yeah. Again, another topic that we could spend probably hours talking about. And we're already 40 minutes in. This is crazy, Shang. Time flies when you're having fun. Shang, at the time of this recording... It looks like as if we're heading straight into a recession. Just a bunch of tech companies that announced massive layoffs, including Stripe, Twitter, Meta. And by the time this episode launches, we're probably experiencing an actual recession. And I know that mental reframing is a powerful tactic that you love using. And we talked a little bit about that already earlier when we talked about reframing the conversation around I get to do X, Y, I am so lucky I get to do this. Yeah. But can you give us a couple of examples of how people can shift their mindsets during these economically challenging times? There's probably people who have been laid off, who've lost lost their jobs trying yeah. to, to figure out what's next. There's a lot of younger people in this audience. Maybe this is the first time that they're experiencing a recession. Maybe they've just recently graduated from college and we're expecting to, to start a wonderful career. What can we do to reframe the situation for ourselves? I remember living through the Great Recession of 08 because I graduated in 07 and then worked for about one year. Then you saw everything fall apart in 08. And I would say if, if this truly plays out to be a recession, I don't think it will be as bad as the one that happened in 2008. So I can definitely talk a little bit about that. And also throughout my life, I've taken risks so big where I'm like, I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from as an entrepreneur. And also both my husband and I have had bouts of unemployment when we're trying to switch between jobs or take risks in our career. So yes, if you were one of those people who that got, that got laid off right before the holidays, I'm really sorry. You know, it's it's not fun to like try to gear up for the holidays and then literally have this dark cloud over your head. So definitely um, sending my sympathies for that. The best thing to do is to focus on we, what you can control. We cannot change the environment, the overall economic climate. We're just, you know, we're one piece of a global puzzle. Like global factors have caused all the turmoil that we're seeing. So don't even try to control things that are beyond your control. Polish up your resume, network, interview as much as you can, 
keep up with your old friends. Do fun stuff too. Don't like be job searching every day because then it also really gets to your head. Develop some skills. If you can reframe, I would say, see this time as a reset. You're not a failure because you got laid off. In fact, the massive layoffs have very little to do with your capabilities and whether you're good or not at your job. It has a lot more to do with the environment. So actually, if you tell people, I, I was part of you know, the mass layoff at Meta, no one's going to ding you for that. In fact, it would generate quite a lot of sympathy. So use this time as a reset. It's not a rejection. It's a reset. And really think about what would you love to see in your next step? Two to three big things. And it can change. What I wanted out of my career in my mid-20s is very different now in my mid-30s. You don't have to set a 10-year plan. Just set a plan for one to two years and push relentlessly towards that. You have this time to focus. Also prepare for the worst, but also hope for the best. You know, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I do like to wake up every day and say, hey, I get to job interview or I get to meet a, a good friend today. You know, try to keep as much lightheartedness as you can. I had to be that pillow for my husband when he was really down on his job search. You know, I cooked our favorite recipes and tried to do date nights and things like that. Don't burn bridges. You don't want to make people angry, especially if you need their help later on. Participate in community. I mean, I'm seeing evidence of that now in Southern California where I live, where some mothers are running out of money for formula, diapers. Their rents have gone up by quite some. It costs $70 to fill up a, ta a tank of gas, which is quite a lot of money for people who work minimum wage jobs. And we're all combining forces and helping out wherever we can. So if you can find a community, a local community, I highly recommend that. I love my church. I'm religious. So that's where I go. And I do believe that if, you'll, if you can get through this, you'll be stronger. So try to hang on and just do the best you can. 100%. I love that you framed it as a reset, not a rejection. What a lot of us have also observed, like there's people who lost jobs during the pandemic, at the beginning of the pandemic, throughout the pandemic, right? So like, this is not necessarily new to people who've had jobs before because there were layoffs happening during the pandemic as well. And a lot of those people who got laid off they had to pivot and a lot of them, for example, have launched their own businesses. Like I know tons of examples. We also know a lot of amazing content creators out there who really got some traction over the course of the pandemic and have been able to build successful side businesses, some of which have turned into full-time businesses for those people. If you've gotten laid off or, you know, if something else has happened to you and your loved ones, like your feelings are so, so, so valid. Mm -hmm. But to your point, Shang, oftentimes these moments in time can also be helpful because looking back, at least that's been my experience, whenever I got disappointed or something didn't work out the ways I had hoped or planned, I was obviously very upset in a moment. But then like six months, a year, two years down the road, every single time, a silver lining. Mm -hmm. 
I genuinely believe the sounds may be corny, but trust <laughs> the process, you know, yeah. especially yes. keep in mind some of the biggest brands we know these days were founded during recessions. Microsoft, for example, or Uber, Airbnb, a lot of these companies that we know were founded during recession. So maybe you could be one of those founders that has an amazing business idea and now we get to work on it. So <laughs> yeah, Love never, it. never know. We're coming up on time, Shang, and thank you so much for, for having this conversation. I genuinely enjoyed it so much. I don't only like to always start out with the same question, but also I love to close with the same question for each of my guests. Shang, I know you're already a millionaire, but if I gave you an additional $1 million today to invest <laughs> in either a female-founded company or a cause that would benefit women, where would you invest that money? Yeah, I think it would probably be a cause, which is, I mean, pretty much what I'm already doing, but hopefully at a larger scale, which is to get as many women as early as possible into embracing and loving financial literacy, into believing that money and wealth is on the table, is accessible, and it's not just for men uh, that is equally available to you. And the reason why I want it to be as early as possible, going back to the stuff we talked about at the very beginning of this episode about uh, children planning for family, if you could get that wealth building done early, it gives you so much more flexibility as well to be a mom or to have the family or the relationship that you want if you don't want to be a mom. Just flexibility in general to do whatever it is that you want to do. And time is the only thing that I, as a personal finance content creator, cannot change on your behalf. I cannot rewind time for anyone. So early is preferable. Take advantage of that compound interest power, y'all. <laughs> Especially to the young folks out there, you know, if you just graduated college, like even if you can put away 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month, you have so much more time than a 40 or 50 year old millionaire. So take advantage of your age for sure. Yes. Shang, this was so incredible. Thank you so, so much for your time. I had so much fun, learned a lot. Thank you for being so vulnerable. Any final words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience before we wrap up? I would just repeat, do it scared, but do it anyway. None of us know what the heck we're doing. We don't. We're all just trying to figure it out. Beautiful. Those are amazing words to, to end on today. Thank you so much again, Shang. And to everyone out there, make sure to follow her at Save My Sense. I'll make sure to link to her account in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Shang. Thank you. Hey there, not so fast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened in from today. Reviews are a podcaster's most important currency. It helps me create visibility for the incredible women who join me on this show. And if you've made it this far, I'd like to believe that supporting women is one of your favorite pastimes. If you already left a review, first of all, thank you. But why not share this episode with a friend or post it to your Instagram story? Thank you for helping me on my mission to make women rich by making women rich. <laughs>